All right, good evening, brothers and sisters. We are in episode 18, and we have several questions lined up. Three questions to be exact. We go to the first one. And the question basically revolves around what you see on the graphic there. Can we use fasting for spiritual purposes? And the question goes like this. Hello, Poka John. Is there such a thing as a spiritual or Christian fasting? Now, we've heard of servants of God in the Bible that have fasted before praying and serving him, some longer than others. Great examples are Lord Yahusha, who fasted 40 days and 40 nights before he was tempted by the devil. Is there a benefit of them fasting uh, before they prayed or served God, Yahuwah? I know that some people use it now as a form of diet to lose weight, but can we also use or practice it the same way the servants of God used it in the past. And so we all know about fasting. I think it's one of the latest craze when it comes to getting healthy, getting fit, losing weight. And so there's such a thing called intermittent fasting. And so people can, some people attest to its efficacy. They lost a lot of weight. They feel good. They say it, it clears their mind. And so they are more focused. So if fasting helps you get more focused, then I believe it helps us in worshiping the true God. But is there such a thing as spiritual fasting? Or can we use fasting in terms of water fasting, fasting without food, to prepare us and to help us in our worship and service of our God? Absolutely. Because the Bible gives us many examples of people, servants of God, who served him in the past, who did forego eating and even drinking for a number of days because of their preparation to serve God. We know all about, for example, Moses, when he went to Mount Sinai to receive the tablets that contained the commandments of God, he basically fasted for 40 days and nights. He did not eat food and he did not drink anything. So that's uh, a fast that we do not recommend that you follow because you can only live so much without food and you can only live so many days without water. So this was miraculous on the part of Moses. So Moses fasted, not only Moses, we all know about Yahushua. Then the spirit led Yahushua into the desert to be tempted by the devil. After spending 40 days and nights without food, Yahushua was hungry. He also fasted and for 40 days as well. Yahushua HaMashiach. So we have Yahushua, we have Moses, who fasted because they prepared for their ministry. However, besides these two who also fasted, let's read the book of Acts 13, 1 to 3. In the church at Antioch, there were some prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, called the black, Lucius from Cyrene, Manaean, who had been brought up with Governor Herod, and Saul. While they were serving the Lord and Fasting, the Holy Spirit said to them, set me apart, set, for, uh, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul to do the work to which I have called them. They fasted and prayed, placed their hands on them and set, sent them off. So who also uh, fasted as they worshiped and served Yahuwah our God. Some prophets and teachers in the church in Antioch. And so because they were a young assembly they had much work to do, and they prepared themselves to be used by Yahuwah God. And so in preparation for the great work ahead, what did they do? They served the Lord and they 
fasted. And when they were in a fasted state, the Holy Spirit spoke to them. So they fasted, they prayed, and they continued to do the work of Yahuwah, our God. So they fasted as well. When else? In the book of Acts 14, 23, in each church, they appointed elders and with prayers and fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they had put their trust. So we can see that when the people of God, those who belong to the assembly, when they were to make decisions, not only did they pray, they also fasted. And so there were many instances in the Holy Scriptures when the people of God fasted and prayed, who also is another example. Luke 2, 36-38, Anna, a prophet, was also there in the temple. She was the daughter of Phanuel from the tribe of Asher, and she was very old. Her husband died when they had been married only seven years. Then she lived as a widow to the age of 84. She never left the temple, but stayed there day and night, worshiping God with fasting and prayer. She came along just as Simeon was talking with Mary and Joseph, and she began praising God. She talked about the child to everyone who had been waiting expectantly for God to rescue Jerusalem, who also is an example of a servant of God who fasted and prayed while she worshiped God. We have Anna, a prophet. How old was she? 84. She spent her days in the temple worshiping God with fasting and prayer. She found out about Simeon's message, a prophetic message about the child from Mary and Joseph that, she, that he is the Mashiach. And so she became instrumental in speaking to others about this child prophesied to be the one to whom God would send to rescue Jerusalem. And so we have many instances of servants of God in the Old Testament and the New Testament who worship and serve with fasting and prayer. So to answer the question, is there such a thing as spiritual fasting? Yes, when we use fasting in preparation or to equip us or to help us more to, to be more prepared in doing the work of God. Now, how does that work? Now, of course, when we talk about fasting, we're speaking about um, a fast, uh, a water fast, right? Uh, going without food for a couple of days. That's typically what is in our mind when we speak about fasting. So in the Holy Bible, when it comes to fasting, it's about giving up food. Now, what would be the role of giving up food or giving up something in to prepare a person to be better equipped to worship and to serve God? We're going to read here the book of Corinthians 7, 1 down to 5, although it does not speak about fasting in the sense of giving up food, it does give us a clue as to how fasting works. The book of Corinthians 7, 1 to 5. Now, regarding the questions you ask in your letter, yes, it is good to live a celibate life, but because there's so much sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman should have her own husband. The husband shall, should fulfill his wife's sexual needs and the wife should fulfill her husband's needs. The wife gives authority over her body to her husband, and the husband gives authority over his body to his wife. Do not deprive each other of sexual relations. 
unless you both agree to refrain from sexual intimacy for a limited time so you can give yourselves more completely to prayer. Afterward, you should come back, uh, you should come together again so, so that Satan won't be able to tempt you because of your lack of self-control. So when it comes to fasting, it doesn't just involve eating food. You can also fast by giving up something to other things that are important to you. In this case, it would be sexual intimacy between husband and wife. We know this is allowed. These are the privileges of marriage. And it is important for both the husband and the wife. Apostle Paul is the one who speaks about the importance of this kind of intimate relationship. However, as important as that is, he does tell us that if you want to give yourself more completely to prayer, then if both of you agree, you can refrain from sexual intimacy or you can have a fast in terms of giving up sexual intimacy for a limited time. What would be its purpose? To give yourselves more completely to prayer. And so we can see the purpose of fasting is so that people can remove any distractions so that, that they can be completely engaged in doing the work, the spiritual work that Yahuwah God and Yahusha HaMashiach wants them to do. And so when it comes to something that you can fast or something that you can give up, when you give it up, it shows your commitment, it shows your dedication, it shows your seriousness about the work ahead. Now, it's often a fasting of food. And the reason why is because back then, when it comes to food, it, it's not readily available as it is today, right? Because nowadays, it's so easy to acquire food. But during the days of the apostles, during the Old Testament times, it wasn't that easy. In some cases, you have to hunt for your own food, right? You have to basically make your own bread. And so it was not that available. And so people do not understand why it was always uh, fat, uh, fasting involving food. Food was a big part of one's life. And so when you give that up, you're giving up something that's big. And so that was a sacrifice. And so you communicate to God, you're giving up something that's very important to you. Today, there are many things that may be important to us that we could give up. For example, you can, like what Apostle Paul says, you can fast in terms of giving up sexual intimacy. But there are other things that are important to us that we can give up, right? What can we give up, for example? in preparation for an important service or an important work of God. We can give up maybe the internet. Can we do that? We can give up maybe our cell phones. Can we do that? We can give up maybe Facebook. We can have a Facebook fast. The point is it has to be something important to you. There must be a built-in desire for you to crave that or to want that. Otherwise, it would not be a fast. So when it comes to fasting, it should be giving up something that's important to you because every time you get that craving to want it, you reorient yourself to refocus yourself into doing the will of God. This is why food fasting is so effective because human beings have a natural desire for food. It's built in our flesh. We need food to survive. 
And so every time you have that hunger pang, you just, you remind yourself you're doing this because you are dedicating yourself to God. And so you are reminded throughout the day of your commitment to worship and to serve the living God. So that's the purpose of fasting. However, when we fast, what must we always keep in mind so that our fasting will be accepted by Yahuwah God? Let's read the book of Matthew 6, 16 to 18. And when you fast, don't make it obvious as the hypocrites do, for they try to look miserable and disheveled so people will admire them for their fasting. I tell you the truth, that is the only reward they will ever get. But when you fast, comb your hair and wash your face, and no one will notice that you are fasting except your father, who knows what you do in private. And your father, who sees everything, will reward you. And so when we fast, according to Yahushua, do not fast for the purpose of elevating yourself, to make yourself look good, to say to the people, look, I'm fasting because I'm a spiritual person. Yahushua says you already got your reward. So when we fast, it should be done in secret. The whole point is we should not fast for the purpose of making ourselves look good so that we would be admired by others. That would be fasting to please ourselves instead of fasting to please Yahuwah our God. So if you want to fast to lose weight, well, that's okay. You can tell others I'm fasting right now because your purpose is to please yourself or so that you can uh, lose weight, right? But if your purpose for fasting is to prepare you for God's work, then Bible says, do not say, do not tell of your purpose of fasting. Because if it's to please Yahuwah God, it should not be noticed by others. Now, if we are fasting, if, for example, we decide we're going to do, we're going, we're going to do a technology fast, or maybe we're going to give up something that's important to us to show to God we're committed to his work. If we want our fasting to be effective, there's something that we have to remove in our life. Otherwise, it would defeat the purpose of fasting. What is that? Let's read the book of Isaiah 58.3. We have fasted before you, they say. Why aren't you impressed? We have been hard, very hard on ourselves, and you don't even notice it. I will tell you why, I respond. It's because you are fasting to please yourselves. Even while you fast, you keep oppressing your workers. And so what would undermine the work of our fasting? Here, the Holy Scriptures reveal to us the people of Israel, certain people who wanted to show Yahuwah God that they wanted to be committed to him. And so they fasted and they were hard on themselves because they wanted to show their commitment to God. However, while they are fasting, giving up food, what also are they doing? They are oppressing their workers. In other words, they were fasting, but at the same time, they were engaged in living a life of sin because it was sinful in the eyes of God to oppress people who lack power or who are in need. So if we are fasting, we're giving up something that's important to us to let Yahuwah God know that we are serious and devoted about what we're going to do. At the same time, we should refrain from committing sin. This is why in Isaiah 58, 4 to 5, what does Yahuwah God say? 
concerning fasting. What good is fasting? When you keep on fighting and quarreling, this kind of fasting will never get you anywhere with me. You humble yourselves by going through the motions of penance, bowing your heads like reeds bending in the wind. You dress in burlap and cover yourselves with ashes. Is this what you call fasting? Do you really think this will please Yahuwah? Bible says, if we fast, if we go through the motions of penance, if we humble ourselves. However, at the same time, we keep fighting and quarreling. That's not the kind of fasting that will be productive. And so if we are fasting, and at the same time, we are doing the things God does not want us to do, then we are basically undoing the effects, the good effects of fasting. And so if we want to fast at the same time, we need to get rid of sin in our life. However, not only that, if we really want our fasting to work, if we really want that the results of fasting will bring us closer to Yahuwah God and accomplish more for him, what must we add in our fasting? Isaiah 58, 6 to 7. No, this is the kind, this is the kind of fasting I want. Free those who are wrongly imprisoned. Lighten the burden of those who work for you. Let the oppressed go free and remove the chains that bind people. Share your food with the hungry and give shelter to the homeless. Give clothes to those who need them and do not hide from relatives when uh, relatives who need your help. And so in addition to refraining from committing sin, what also does Yahuwah God want us to add in our fasting? We must do good works. And so it must be fasting, leaving sin behind, and fasting and doing good works. Like what? Lightening up the burden of those who work for you. Removing their chains. Sharing your food. Giving clothes to those who need them. These are all good works. So fasting is effective only if we couple it with renewing our life and being engaged in good works. If we do this, that is what you call spiritual fasting. Remember, Yahuwah God sees and knows our motives. And so we must be honest and authentic in our approach to pleasing Yahuwah, our God. Okay. All right, let's go to question number two. I have some questions, Brother John, concerning John uh, 2.14 to, uh, to 17, which is about uh, Yahushua cleansing the temple. And so why did Yahushua clean the temple? What does zeal, zeal for your house has eaten me up mean? And so let's go ahead and look at John chapter 2, 13 to 16. When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Yahushua went up to Jerusalem. In the temple courts, he found men selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and others sitting at the tables exchanging money. I want to pause there for a while. If you were Jewish and there were certain festivals that were celebrated, right? There were seven festivals. And of the seven festivals, there were three festivals that required uh, the men to go to Jerusalem required the Jews to go to Jerusalem in order to have 
uh, a public meeting, a public worship. And they were the, day, the celebrations of Passover, number one. Number two, a feast of weeks, Shavuot, Pentecost, right? It's number two. And number three, feast of tabernacles. So during those festivals, festivals of the festival of Passover, festival of the feast of weeks, and the festival of tabernacles, the people went to Jerusalem. So Jerusalem would be a crowded place. So Yahushua, born under the law, born as a Jew, he went to Jerusalem on Passover. And so on his, while he was there, he went to the temple. And in the temple courts, what did he find? He found men selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and others sitting at tables exchanging money. This was at the temple courts. Where was the temple courts located? Well, this is a picture of the temple during the days of Herod. And the temple courts basically is right there. And so that's where Yahusha was. Yahusha saw people uh, selling cattle and sheep and doves and setting up their tables, exchanging money. And when Yahusha saw this, what did he do? Well, let's keep reading in verse 15. So he made a whip of cords and drove out all from the temple area, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. Those who sold doves, he said, get these out of here. How dare you turn my father's house into a market? And so when Yahusha entered the temple area, what did he do? Well, he did something that shocked the people. What was that? He made a whip of cords and he drove them all out of the temple courts or the temple area. He overturned the tables. And so he was quite aggressive. He was showing his zeal and devotion for the temple of God. So the first question was, why did Yahushua do this? Two answers. There's the practical answer and the more, and the more uh, deeply spiritual answer. What's the practical and spiritual answer? Well, because it says in verse 16, those who sold doves, he said, get these out of here. How dare you turn my father's house into a market? That's the first reason. They were turning the house of God into a marketplace. And Yahushua would not have any of that. And so he did what he did out of his zeal and love for the temple of God. However, there's a deeper reason why Yahushua did this. Because he was going to fulfill prophecy. What was that? Malachi 3, 1 to 3. Yahuwah, almighty answers. I will send my messenger to prepare the way for me. Then the Lord you were looking for will suddenly come to his temple. The messenger you long to see will come and proclaim my covenant. But who will be able to endure the day when he comes? Who will be able to survive when he appears? He will be like strong soap, like a fire that refines metal. He will come to judge like one who refines and purifies silver. As a metal worker refines silver and gold. So Yahuwah's messenger will purify the priests. And they will bring to Yahuwah the right kind of offerings. I want you to keep that in mind. Yahusha is going to fulfill prophecy regarding the temple. What is that? 
He will come to the temple, right? And what will he do? He will proclaim his covenant. He will proclaim a new covenant. When Yahusha arrived, what was still in operation? The Mosaic covenant. Yahusha has come. And when he goes to the temple for the first time, he will proclaim his covenant. Take note, when he went to the temple and he overturned the money tables, and when he cleansed the temple, that was the first time he would go there. That was one of the first things he did after he, in his public ministry. Three years later, he would go back and do the same thing and to fulfill again this purpose, which is in the prophecy. And so the first instance when he overturns the tables with his zeal, he cleanses the temple. It was for a purpose to proclaim the covenant, number one. What else? To purify the priests, right? And number three, to bring to Yahuwah the right kinds of offerings. I want you to keep that in mind because Yahusha is going to fulfill all of these things. He fulfilled the first one in his first instance of overturning the tables. Why? Why did he do that? John 2 verse 17. His disciples uh, remembered uh, that the scriptures says, my devotion to your household, God burns in me like a fire. And so the disciples when they saw Yahushua overturning the tables, driving out the people and cleansing the temple, it reminded them of the scripture about devotion to Yahuwah's temple. It was burning, a burning desire of Yahushua to do something about the, tape, the, the temple because it was that temple that represented a changing of the guard or a transition in the covenant. The temple was a symbol of what was going to happen next. Because when Yahushua began to do all of these things, he was setting in place a new covenant. He was going to rearrange things in the temple. This is why when he began to do that, when he cleansed the temple, do you know what the Jewish authority said? John 2.18, the Jewish authorities came back at him with a question. What miracle can you perform to show us that you have the right to do this. So Yahushua is proclaiming a covenant. And when the Jewish authorities saw him do this, and he began to proclaim the covenant, they asked him, okay, who are you? Only the Messiah can do that. Are you the Messiah? And so they demanded a miracle from Yahushua. Are you the Messiah who's going to change everything about the temple? And so when this question was asked, what was the response of Yahushua? 19 to 22, Yahushua answered, Tear down this temple, and in three days, I will build it again. Are you going to build it again in three days, they asked him. It has taken 46 years to build this temple. But the temple Yahushua was speaking about was his body. So when he was raised from death, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and what Yahushua had said. And so when he was asked, what miracle can you provide us to tell us you are the Mashiach? Well, then he, he gave them a very mysterious answer, right? What was the answer of Yahushua? He said, tear down this temple and in three days I will build it. Again, the Jewish authorities were confused because under the leadership of Herod, it took them 46 years 
to kind of add to the temple that Zerubbabel and Ezra and Nehemiah started. They were not content with how that stood out, that, that, that was accomplished. And so Herod wanted to make it better. And so he was making the second temple better, right? And 46 years to do that. And they weren't even finished yet. And then here's Yahushua. <laughs> and he says, tear down this temple. And in three days, I will build it again. But when he said, tear down this temple, what was he referring to? He was referring to his body. And his body represented the temple of the new covenant. And so Yahushua was telling them, this temple that you see will be replaced by the body of Yahushua after his death. But during that time when he said this, of course, the disciples couldn't get yet. They could not comprehend fully yet what he was talking about. Remember, the book of John was written after the fact, right? John wasn't writing this while it was taking place. It was written after the fact. And so when this was all done and John was writing, he added verse 22. So when he was raised from death, his disciples remembered that he had said this and they believed the scripture and what Yahushua had said. And so he proclaimed before the Jewish authorities the new covenant by telling them he would die and he would be resurrected. And when that happens, the new covenant has been ushered in. He will now represent what? The temple. This is why the cleansing of the temple was so important. He was communicating to the people about what was going to happen next. But Yahushua wasn't finished yet. This was at the start of his ministry. About three years later, guess what? He goes back to the temple. What does he do? Mark 11, 15 and 18. When they arrived in Jerusalem, Yahushua went to the temple and began to drive out all those who were buying and selling. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the stools of those who sold pigeons. And he would not let anyone carry anything through the temple courtyards. He then taught the people, it is written in the scriptures that God said, my temple will be called the house of prayer for the people of all, all nations. But you have turned it into a hideout for thieves. The chief priests and the teachers of the law heard of this. So they began looking for some way to kill Yahushua. They were afraid of him because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. And so about three years later, he goes back to the temple. What does he do? He cleanses the temple again. And this time, what does he say? My temple, he says, will be called the house of prayer for the people of all. Yeah, not just for the Jews, but for the Gentiles, for all nations. Because when Yahushua will begin his covenant, it will include who? The Jews and the Gentiles. This temple that he is ushering in, what does that represent? First Peter 2, 4 to 5. Come to the Lord, the living stone rejected by the people as worthless, but chosen by God as valuable. Come as living stones and let yourselves, yourselves. Who was he referring to when he said yourselves? The people, right? The people. Be used in building the spiritual temple where you will serve as holy priests to offer spiritual and acceptable sacrifices to God through Yahusha the Christ. And so what was that temple that would be cleansed, which would result 
in the purifying of the priests according to the prophecy. Remember the prophecy? The purifying of the priests so that offerings that are acceptable to God would be made to him. Remember the prophecy? Remember the three things in the prophecy that we mentioned in Malachi? What was that? Three things. Number one, proclaiming the covenant. Number two, they will, he will purify the priests. And number three, he will make the offerings acceptable and pleasing to Yahuwah our God. This was fulfilled when Yahusha died, resurrected, because after that, the new covenant that was proclaimed in the first cleansing was fulfilled already. So this time, his body represents the spiritual temple. Those who are called into the body of Yahusha, guess what? They have been purified as his holy priests to offer pleasing sacrifices to Yahuwah, our God, through Yahusha, the Christ. And so that's the purpose of the cleansing of the temple. It is to prepare his body to die and to be resurrected so that we can become living priests, or, uh, priests who will offer pleasing sacrifices to Yahuwah, our God. Okay. All right, let's go to the next question. Uh, dear Brother John, why do the Jews hate the Samaritans so much? You know, that's very true. The Jews really hated the Samaritans. And guess what? The Samaritans really hated the Jews. Do you know why? They both hate each other. Four reasons. Four, you know, there's a saying, three strikes, you're out, right? If you have like a person you dislike, they do something against you, strike one, right? Another one, strike two. Another one, strike three, you're out. That's it. I'm not going to be with you. I hate you, <laughs> right? Four strikes. I think a lot more than that. But let's begin here. So what's the history between the Jews and the Samaritans? Where did it all begin? Where did the hostility begin? Well, really, when you think about it, it kind of started all the way back to the days of the 12 tribes. But we're not going to go that far. Let's just go back to what happened to Israel after the death of Solomon, right? Who remembers here what happened to Israel after the death of Solomon? What happened? What happened to Israel after Solomon dies? Remember, it was Saul, David, and then Solomon. What happened, what happened after Solomon died? Basically, this was God's punishment to Israel because of their idolatry. They were split, right? And so in that split, you had two kingdoms. Israel and Judah. Israel to the north, Judah to the south. Both the people of God, but they were divided. Already at that split, they did not, they did not like each other. Okay, The Israelites, the kingdom of Israel, did not like Judah. Judah did not like Israel. So there was already a rift among the people of our God. Now, when Omri began to rule in Israel, what did he do? Uh, 16, 23, 24, Omri began to rule over Israel in the 31st year of King Asa's reign in Judah. He reigned 12 years in all, six of them in Terza. Then Omri bought the hill known as Samaria from its owner, Shemer, for 150 pounds of silver. He built a city on it and called the city Samaria in honor of Shemer. And so Omri buys some land and called it Samaria, and Samaria would become the capital of Israel. And so now we have Jerusalem, the capital of Judah, right? 
And we have Israel having Samaria as its capital. So there was a competition between Samaria and what? Jerusalem, between Israel and Judah. So already we can kind of see where the hostility started, right? That's strike number one, <laughs> the division between Israel and Judah. Of the two kingdoms, we know, by the way, both kingdoms would eventually fall, right? Because of their sin of idolatry. But of the two kingdoms, who would fall first? Was it Judah or was it Israel? It was Israel. Why? In the book of 2 Kings 17, 5 to 6, then the king of Assyria invaded the entire land. For three years, he besieged the city of Samaria. Finally, in the ninth year of King Hoshea's reign, Samaria fell and the people of Israel were exiled to Assyria. They were, set, they were settled in colonies in Hala along the banks of the Hebor River in Gozan and in the cities of the Medes. And so who fell first, Israel or Judah? It was Israel. They, they fell by the hands of Assyria. And Assyria conquered uh, Samaria and all of Israel. And what did uh, the king of Assyria do with many of those who fell? Well, uh, the king of Assyria decided to bring all, uh, not all, but most of the people of Israel into exile in Assyria, right? When did this happen? In 722 BC. So Israel fell to the Assyrians on 722 BC. And so while there were exiles uh, of Israel there in Assyria, what did the king of Assyria also do 17 to 20, uh, 17 to 24 second kings. The king of Assyria transported groups of people from Babylon, Kuta, Ava, Hamath, and Separbaim, and resettled them in the towns of Samaria, replacing the people of Israel. They took possession of Samaria and lived in its towns. And so when the king of Assyria relocated the people of Israel away from Samaria, and into Assyria as exiles. At the same time, the king of Assyria transported groups of different people, different pagan people, Babylon, Kuta, Ava, Hamath, Sepharvaim, and they placed, he placed all of them in towns of Samaria to basically replace those who were displaced. But while they were there in Samaria, what happened to them there in Samaria? Second king, seven. 1825-26. But since these foreign settlers did not worship Yahuwah when they first arrived, Yahuwah sent lions among them, which killed some of them. So a message was sent to the king of Assyria, the people you have sent to live in the towns of Samaria do not know the religious customs of the God of the land. He has sent lions among them to destroy them because they have not worshipped him Correctly. And so what happened to these foreign settlers when they were in Samaria? Well, because they did not know how to worship Yahuwah God, Yahuwah sent lions and killed some of them. This alarmed the settlers. And so they sent message to the king and the king found out about what was happening. And so what does the king decide to do? 29 to 31. But, but these various groups of foreigners 
uh, also continued uh, to worship their own gods. Wait a minute. In town after town where they lived, they placed their idols at the pagan shrines that the people of Samaria had built. Those from Babylon worship idols of their god Sukoth Benoth. Uh, those from Kuta worship um, their god Nergal. And those from Hamath worship Ashima. The Avites worship the gods Nebat and Tartak. And the people from Sepharvaim even burned their own children as sacrifices to their gods Adramelech and Anamelech. And so what did the king decide to do? Well, the king decided to send a priest who was in exile there in Assyria, a priest to go back to Samaria to teach the people there about the laws of Moses so that they would learn how to worship God, right? And so they were learning and practicing the proper way to worship God. But at the same time, however, the various groups of foreigners continued to worship their own gods. Yes, they were learning to worship Yahuwah, but alongside worshiping Yahuwah, they worshiped their own gods as well like Sukoth Benon, Nergal, Ashima, Nibas, Tarta, Adramelech, and Anamelech. There's a lot of false gods that they were worshiping together with Yahuwah. And so what eventually happened? Uh, in 32-34, these new residents worshiped Yahuwah, but they also appointed from among themselves all sorts of people as priests to offer sacrifices at their places of worship, and though they worship Yahuwah, they continue to follow their own gods according to the religious customs of the nations from which they came. And this is still going on today. They continue to follow their former practices instead of truly worshiping Yahuwah and obeying the decrees, regulations, instructions, and commandments he gave the descendants of Jacob, whose name he changed to Israel. And so what eventually happened? There was a, a syncretization that took place. And so there was a combining, an integrating of customs, a unifying, a unified religion was the result. It was worshiping Yahuwah, right? And at the same time, incorporating other customs of worship. Does this sound familiar? Remember when the apostles died after the death of the apostles, what would eventually happen to Christianity? Constantine in the fourth century would use Christianity as his national religion. And he forced converted the pagans, right? Because he wanted a universal religion. And so the result was the paganization of Christianity, AKA Catholicism. And so we saw what happened to Catholicism. The birthing of Catholicism is also what happened here. When Assyria decided to send uh, priests to teach the pagans, how to worship Yahuwah. And so the result was in a, a universal religion, a religion that incorporated bits and pieces of other customs and religious practices of the Gentile and pagan people. That's what happened. And so the, Samar the Samaritans who lived there, the Jews, okay? The Jews who lived in Samaria, guess what? They intermarried with these other people. And their descendants would become who? The Samaritans. So the Israelites intermarried with the foreign settlers. Their descendants would become the 
Samaritans. Because remember, when Assyria took Israel as exiles, not all of Israel was there. There were some who remained in the towns of Samaria, of Samaria but they intermarried with these foreign settlers. The resulting descendants would become the Samaritans, okay? And so because they married non-Jewish people, guess what? The people from Judah, do you think they like that? No, that's strike number two. That's why they don't like each other. These Samaritans, they, they still call themselves Jews. They worship Yahuwah, but they're doing all these things. So the, the Judean, the, the people from Judah really did not like uh, the Samaritans. And so that was strike number two. But you know what happened to Judah? Eventually they would fall, right? They did not remain the people of God for long. It took about a hundred, more than a hundred years later, Judah fell to the Babylonians. But the Babylonians would be conquered by Persia. And Cyrus, by prophecy, would give the Judeans, the people from Judah, permission to rebuild the temple. So they would go back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. And so guess who hears about this? Who finds out about this? The Samaritans. Hey, our brothers, they're rebuilding the temple. Let's go with them. And so what happened? Ezra. For one of five, the enemies of Judah and Benjamin heard that the exiles were rebuilding the temple of Yahuwah, the God of Israel. So they approached Zerubbabel and the other leaders and said, let us build with you, for we worship your God just as you do. We have sacrificed to him ever since King Esharhaddon of Assyria brought us here. But Zerubbabel, Jeshua, and the other leaders of Israel replied, you may have no part in this work. We alone will build the temple of Yahuwah, the God of Israel, just as King Cyrus of Persia commanded us. Then the local residents tried to discourage and frighten the people of Judah to keep them from their work. They bribed agents to work against them and to frustrate their plans. This went on during the entire reign of King per uh, Cyrus of Persia and lasted until King Darius of Persia uh, took the throne. And so when uh, Judah was allowed to go back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple, the Samaritans, their Jewish brothers, are asking Zerubbabel and the other leaders, hey, we want to help build. We too worship Yahuwah like you. We have the same God. And so they wanted to help in rebuilding the temple. But of course, what was the answer? You may have no part in this work. We alone will build the temple of Yahuwah. And so because they were rejected from helping, what did they do? They conspired with the people in the land to try and deter the work, right? And so they wanted to prevent the work from taking place. And so what do we have here? Strike number three, right? And so what's strike number four uh, from the history books? The Samaritans who had registered, who had resisted paganism, developed their own version of worship using only the Pentateuch, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, and rejecting all kinds of all the other books of the Old Testament. Tensions increased when the Samaritans built their own temple for worship on Mount Gerizim and stated that their mountain 
was the dwelling place of the Lord, not the temple in Jerusalem. With that, any hope of reconciliation between the two peoples was lost. So what happened? We see strike number four, right? Because uh, the Samaritans were rejected from helping. What did the Samaritans do? Instead of rebuilding, helping rebuild the temple in Jerusalem, they decided to do what? Build their own. And when they built their own temple on Mount Gerizim, what did they add? Well, they said, we are the true people of God, not them. <laughs> we represent the true followers of Moses because they only believe in the Pentateuch, not the other writings. And so now we have the hostility develop even deeper, right? There's no way that you can reconcile them anymore. That's strike number four. But there's actually strike number five. Eventually, what also happened to make things worse from the dictionary of the Bible, the Samaritans later allied themselves with the Seleucids in the Maccabean Wars. And in 128 BC, the Jews destroyed the Samaritan temple and ravaged the territory. And so there was a war between the Jews and Antiochus Epiphanes. And we'll talk about Antiochus Epiphanes on Thursday. Uh, so there was a war going on, and the Jews were being destroyed. And to make things worse, the Samaritans joins them. Uh, and the Jews, uh, the, yeah, the, the Samaritans allied themselves with the Seleucids. And the Jews, in retaliation, they destroyed the Samaritan temple and ravaged the territory. And so, in an act of revenge, what did the Samaritans do? Well, around the time of Yahusha's birth, a band of Samaritans profaned the temple in Jerusalem by scattering the bones of dead people in the sanctuary. That was a big desecration, right? And so you can see the hostility, the back and forth between the Samaritans and the Jews are very deep, very deep. Strike five, right? They were going at each other. And because of this, at the time of Yahusha, there was long-standing and deeply rooted hatred between the Jews and the Samaritans. But you know what Yahusha would do? Right? Uh, one of the first things that Yahusha did when he started his public ministry. Do you know what the first one of the first things Yahusha did after he began his public ministry? What do you think he did? <laughs> it would shock you. He knew. There's hatred between the Jews and the Samaritans. And so what does Yahushua do? John 4, 6 to 10. Jacob's well was there. And Yahuwah, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Soon, a Samaritan woman came to draw water. And Yahushua said to her, please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised. For Jews refuse to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Yahushua, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Yahushua replied, if you only knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. While Yahushua was showing favor to this woman, 
not only was she a woman, she was also a Samaritan. And so when Yahushua was speaking to this Samaritan woman, the Samaritan woman was in deep shock. Why? Well, she said so herself. She said, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? So she was shocked because he was even speaking to her. And then Yahushua says, I have big, I'm going to give you a big gift. You don't understand. You are going to receive living water. And so they have a conversation. And in a conversation, what does Yahushua reveal? John 4, 20 to 23. So tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship? While we Samaritans claim it is here at Mount Gerizim where our ancestors worship. Yahushua replied, believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship, while we Jews know all about him, for salvation comes through the Jews. But the time is coming. Indeed, it's here now when true worshipers, worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. And so in the conversation between Yahushua and the Samaritan woman, Yahushua explains to the Samaritan woman about what he's going to do. Remember back in John chapter 2, when he overturned the tables, when he entered the temple? That was John chapter 2. He proclaimed the new covenant, and he was going to basically reorient the meaning of temple worship because back then you can only worship in Jerusalem in the temple and Yahushua went there to cleanse the temple and to make it available to even Gentiles, right? In John 4, he was telling the woman what he was going to do. And so he said, it no longer matters. You can, it no longer matters whether you worship God in Mount Gerizim or in Jerusalem. It doesn't matter. The location doesn't matter. Because what matters is me. Yahushua is telling them he is the temple. He's the only one that matters when it comes to worshiping God. And so that's how you worship Yahuwah God in spirit and in truth. And so when he spoke to the Samaritan woman, he was removing a lot of walls, right? First of all, he removed the wall of locality, which required you be in a specific place to worship God. Second of all, he was removing the wall of hostility between the Jews and the Samaritans. Isn't that nice? And it's very timely, right? Because today, what are we noticing nowadays? There's a lot of hatred and hostility between different nationalities, right? This is why we have Black Lives Matter movement. We have Asian hate. There's so many conflict between races. And this is nothing new. When Yahushua was here, it was in existence. And one of the first things Yahushua did after proclaiming the new covenant in the temple was to face this head on, speaking to who? The Samaritan woman. Can you imagine that? Not only does he speak to a Samaritan, he speaks to a woman. <laughs> that was a big deal. And so Yahushua was also fighting, guess what? For the oppression of women. This is why Yahushua was really the beginning of what we call today movements that tend for equality, right? Races and sexes or genders. It began with Yahushua. Yahushua 
was the true beginner of rights for people like women and those who are oppressed and different races and nationalities. Not only that, so that the Jewish people who, would, who were following Yahushua would finally mend their ways with the Samaritans. He gave a parable. <laughs> you know what the parable was about? Let's find out. The book of Luke, chapter 10, 30, 32. Yahushua replied with a story because the question was, who is my neighbor? Because Yahushua told them, love your neighbor as you love your self, right? And so in the Jewish mind, what were you thinking? I got to love my fellow Jewish people, right? And so Yahushua said, and so the, the question was asked of Yahushua, well, who's my neighbor that I should love as myself? Yahushua replied with a story. A Jewish man was traveling on a trip from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along, but when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant, who's that? Levite, right? <laughs> Levite, walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. And so when the question was asked, well, who's my neighbor that I should love as myself? Yahushua told a story or what we call a parable. He said there was a Jewish man traveling on a trip from Jerusalem to Jericho. What happened to him? He got beat up. He was attacked by bandits. And so they stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, left him half dead. And so while he was lying there, half dead, here comes a priest who comes along but ignores him. His fellow Jew ignores him. He goes to the other side. Another Jew, a temple assistant of that, one worshiping at the temple, a Levite, sees his fellow Jew, his brother, half dead. What does he do? Ignores the situation, passes by on the other side. And so they were not very neighborly, right? And so it's a good thing there was a third man who was there. Who do you think that was? Let's keep reading. Then a despised, a despised Samaritan came along. And when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. Now, which of these Three, would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by the bandits? Yahusha asked. The man replied, the one who showed him mercy. Then Yahusha said, yes, now go and do the same. Brothers and sisters, after the two Jews, a priest and the Levite and temple assistant ignored their brother who was a Jew, who was half dead and did not help them at all, help him at all. Here comes a despised Samaritan, right? And this despised Samaritan who saw this Jewish person half dead, being a Samaritan, if he was a regular Samaritan, what would he do? Probably ignore this Jewish person, right? Because after all, the Jews and the Samaritans hated each other. <laughs> But in this parable of Yahusha, the Samaritan loved the Jewish person. They differed in faith, yes, 
They differed in their customer culture. Yes, but Yahusha teaches them how they can make their differences work. What did he say? He said, he asked, who was the one who was neighborly to the Jewish person who was left wounded? And the man replied, the one who showed mercy. And then what does Yahushua say? He says, yes, now go and do the same. You see, brethren, Yahushua is teaching us, even if the person who was across us is of a different faith, a different religion, a different culture, it doesn't matter. Skin color should not matter. One's religion should not matter. You are to show what? Mercy. You are to show love in action because that's what mercy is. Love in action. Because love sometimes, we just keep it at a feeling. But when we let love take feet, take root in action, then that's mercy. Yahushua says, don't just love in terms of words. Put your love in action. Show your mercy. And so that's what's going to bridge the gap that exists between different cultures and different races. That's what's going to destroy the walls of hostility between people who are from different backgrounds. And Yahushua says, the only way for walls of hostility to be destroyed is when we show love and mercy to our fellow men. And this is where we must begin so that we can share the gospel message and become salt of the earth and lights out the world. Okay. All right. Uh, that is our lesson for uh, tonight. Um, before we go ahead and part ways, let us stand for our closing prayer. Everlasting Father, yes. Almighty Yahuwah Abba, Amen. thank you so much for giving us your message for tonight. Yes. We believe that we represent you to the world. Yes. Help us to show mercy and love. Yes. Even for those who do not agree with our yes. faith. Help us, Father, to be your vessels, yes. to be your mouthpieces. Amen. Most of all, to show by example that we truly belong to you. Amen. Father, please continue to shower upon us yes. more grace and the ability to give. Yes the ability to forgive, yes. and the ability to show mercy and love. Amen. Yahushua, our King, yes. may you be with your servants always. Yes. Teach us to deny self, to yes. prepare our hearts and our minds yes. to truly and properly worship you in our loving Abba. Amen. Father, thank you so much for continuing to bless your people. Yes. Help us to find you always in our life. Yes. We ask all things in the name of our Lord and Savior, Yahushua HaMashiach. Amen.